1: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Okay,
2: and we are live, but we got to let the stream breathe just for a few seconds, make sure we're getting green check marks across the board, and it looks like we're good. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime and my fellow football priest. You know him. You love him. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, tonight we have a really fun show, a little bit of a change-up. We're bringing on a longtime NFL writer and, and the author of a new book that was just published in just the last few days called Elway, A Relentless Life. We're going to talk to Jason Cole and bring him on and introduce everybody to Jason Cole. But how's your day going so far, my friend?
3: It's going pretty good, Chad. You know, another... Week preparation for the NFL, a lot of dra- draft coverage, NFL coverage. My mind is kind of scattered right now. Just uh, just another normal Thursday. It's our mailbag pod, though. So always looking forward to that. And kind of pushing back against some of the Broncos narratives, fire Fangio, the season's over, all this Twitter conjecture, yeah. just dealing and with that and, and mucking through that. That's how my day's been. How about you? So far,
2: so good as well, my friend. Just grinding out another day covering this team that everybody is so passionate about, the Denver Broncos. Gang, listen real quick. We're gonna our format tonight is going to be a little bit different. Now, obviously, Thursday nights are usually the Mile High Mailbag, and we're still going to do the Mile High Mailbag. So, get your questions, any super chats, get them in the stream. We will get to them. But also tonight, we're gonna any questions you might have for Jason as we bring him on. We'll get talking with him and ask him some of the things that are on our minds, some of our burning questions. But get them in the chat stream. Also, if you have a question or super chat for Jason, get it in there, and we will do the best we can while we have time with Jason. To get that in front of him and then once we sign off with jason we'll go straight to the stream start answering your burning broncos questions and do our thing so without further ado though let's bring on jason cole the author of the brand new elway book it's called elway <clears throat> a relentless life jason how are you sir thank you so much for spending some time with us how are you doing tonight
4: i'm fantastic guys i appreciate the time this is great um we didn't do this when I used to cover uh, the Miami Dolphins way back in the day, but this is uh, – I, I love this. I've done like three or four podcasts here in the last couple of weeks. So I I, I I like the conversational style, so I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you very much. As for the fire Fangio stuff, um,
3: <laughs>
4: everybody just kind of calm right. down and cool. yes. let's, let's relax. <laughs> yeah.
3: Take it from him if you don't take it from me.
4: Indeed. He-
2: yeah. So, Jason, as a guy that uh, has covered the NFL for as long as you have, what Mm -hmm. was it that inspired the move to cover Ella? Because a lot of people have this in their minds that, oh, it's an unauthorized biography. Well, most people don't realize that the vast majority of any biography is technically unauthorized. That doesn't mean, however, that the author didn't do, you know, check his sources, cont- you know, do tons and tons of research to put it all sure. together, just like any biography that you might. I've got a biography right now, in fact, sitting next to me on Winston Churchill, published long after he's been gone, not exactly an authorized biography. but no, how right, the hell- yeah,
0: It
4: doesn't work that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, look, unauthorized is, is, is again, typical. There are three ways that you do biographies. There's, autobiographies which the person is obviously telling their own story from their perspective there are authorized biographies and you have to be clear over which one which one is which Um, and that's authorized biographies are um, ones where the person is the subject it's not written in their voice but they're essentially helping out and they're usually sharing in the proceeds of the book and this one it's unauthorized you know John's not sharing in the proceeds. I mean, some people out there have thought, oh, he's getting some royalties on this. He's not getting anything out of this book. Yeah. That's not that's not how this works. So that's an unauthorized biography. And that's what that means. Just to clarify that. What's what brought me to do this is, look, I've been watching John Elway play for 40 years. Okay. I in 1980, I was a freshman in college. Um, sitting in the front row at the stands at Stanford University and I th- I watched Elway throw for the first time and I still remember the sound of a ball from Elway hitting a receiver in the chest and actually knocking the receiver over on a slant route like there's a thud, there's a sound it's like, it's almost like a great hitter hitting a baseball you know that sound when they made perfect contact Yep. yep this is kind of like that. And so, you know, for three years, my, you know, I'm a year behind him in college. So for three years in college, I watched his exploits and me and my buddies we were all gigantic Elway fans. And we were inspired to do things as fans because this dude was on our side, you know, like we could cheer for this team. It was electric. It was fun and it was passionate. And then he leaves The team is crap (laughs) and we just say, okay, we're going to follow his career. And then I become a sports writer, follow his career from afar, become an NFL writer, you know, start to talk to him more and more, um, cross paths with him a lot, watch him win two Super Bowls, watch him return to the game 10 years later. And the really impressive thing to me is that he returned to the game. Most guys in his position, like, Hey, look, I'm just going to sit back and watch the rest of you guys do this. Right. He's in there, he's in there trying to compete again. And he's an extraordinarily rare rare human being. And I wanted to get to the bottom of why he still wants to compete in his 50s and now 60 years old, why he's doing this, why he's chasing it when other guys are like (laughs) i'll just go talk about football i'll be terry bradshaw and i'll just talk about football and make a ton of money doing that and it's a really easy life elway wants no part of an easy life and i i got a lot of respect for that anybody who wants to go back and continue to compete
1: this is the overtime podcast network Paid for by America First Legal. Winning
2: season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice, because the NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action, use promo code OVERTIME, and double your first deposit. New players get up to 1000 bucks in free play, which is designed to add more excitement to the sports you already love and the games that you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie, and here's the best part. Overtime is going all in for our listeners. We're giving away 500 bucks cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. When you make your deposit, just take a screen grab of your MyBookie account and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. 500 bucks given away at the end of September. On that topic of, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about there addresses somewhat Elway's legacy in that he kind of put that at risk when he chose to re-enter the (laughs) NFL as a front office guy. and. At first, the early returns were that it only bolstered and accentuated his legacy because he's one of the rare GMs as a former Hall of Fame player to win a Super Bowl as a player and as, as a GM. But these last few years have, in many ways, perhaps compromised or at least put at risk that legacy. After all the research and all the people you talked to and just your view over the many decades that Elway's been an NFL guy, do you re- how much do you think his legacy as a Hall of Fame quarterback, and then just the name John Elway has been tarnished just, say,
4: since post-Super Bowl 50. Look, I, 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 let, me, let me first say that there aren't a few GMs out there who've won Super Bowls and then come back and done this, okay? Um, there are only two human beings in the history of the NFL who have ever won a Super Bowl as a player, made it to the hall of fame and then come back as either an executive running a team or as a head coach. That's Elway and Mike Ditka. Those are the only two who've ever done this. Okay. Lots have tried. you know, Raymond Berry, you know, lots of other guys have tried. Um, Bart Starr tried it. Um, Obviously it hurt Bart Starr's legacy when he came back as a coach in green Bay. But eventually people just remember the days when he was a quarterback. And so in the short term, yeah. Is Elway going to take a little bit of heat because he hasn't been able to pick out a quarterback and they haven't gone back to the playoffs since Manning left? Sure. That goes with the territory, but he's not afraid to compete. He's not afraid to say, look, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to get there somehow, some way, and he's going to keep trying. And I think the people who are sitting there saying, well, why haven't we gotten back to a Super Bowl? Could you have a little bit of perspective? Like two in the first five years wasn't so bad, you know, like that was okay, You know, that's that's not a bad thing to live off for the next five years. And I know that the that frustration, as you say, is accentuated because he's trying to pick out a quarterback. And you would think that a Hall of Fame quarterback would know how to pick out (laughs) the next quarterback, right? Like, you would see that's a natural. But that just tells you how hard it is. Like, I I think about Ozzie Newsome, one of the greatest GMs, you know, Hall of Famer turned GM who led a team as a GM to a couple of Super Bowl victories. I think about that a lot. Look, the best quarterback he ever picked out was Joe Flacco. And people would argue that Joe was just you know, good, to maybe very good quarterback. And that's, that's the nature of the beast. They're, they're hard to find.
3: Jason, putting a a book together of this magnitude, it's not easy. It takes hours and hours and days and days and digging and reporting. And and, and what you've come across in putting this book together, what has been the most memorable or pleasurable experience about learning about the Broncos? And conversely, what is the most uh, stunning thing or what was the most difficult thing to glean for this book from Elway and from the Broncos?
4: I'll start with the second part. The most difficult thing is to peel back – The motivations of a human being when they're complex and when they're driven like this Mm -hmm. and you want because you want to get it right like you want to really understand where does it come from and what are the things that that what are the touchstones from their life like you know playing ping pong with his dad when he was 11 and 12 years old and they'd be playing till two or three in the morning in the basement right and john would literally be crying because he couldn't beat his his dad right Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, just the competitiveness with his teammates when he was in college or the way that his dad talked to him. It was not – his dad never coached him, like, literally. He never coached his teams. People often get that mistaken. They think, oh, Jack was on the field coaching coaching those teams. He never coached him in Pee Wee football. He never coached him in Little League. He never coached him in high school. He never coached him in college. The only time Jack ever coached him – when they were on the same team together was a shrine game after um, John's senior year in college. Right. And so it was one all-star game, a meaningless game. So, but what Jack did is he would counsel John after games like in, in high school, the first thing John would do, instead of just going straight to the pizza parlor to, you know, have you know, pizza and with, with the guys and, you know, check out the girls or whatever you're going to do after the game on a Friday, he'd go home and he would talk to his dad for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And Jack would say, and they wouldn't talk about plays, like not how did you throw that out pattern or, you know, you need to get your arm in better in a better location. It was like, how did you react when things didn't go well? How did you pick up your teammates? When this guy dropped the pass, how did you talk to him? How did you lift him up? How did you guide your team through whatever adversity they were dealing with? That was the thing that Jack focused on because Jack wanted to make playing ball a, a an experience that John fell in love with. And so I wanted to really get underneath that. As for the, the stories that surprised me, I mean, there are a lot of them. Um, I never knew about all the things that John thought about leading up to the helicopter play all week long. Like, I didn't know the depth to which he had talked to Shanahan about, hey, what do they, what do you think they're going to do on this play? And Shanahan would say, well, it's 100% they do this, 100%. And he would, and John would sit there in his room looking at the play, and Bubby Brister would be sitting in the room because they were roommates that week. And John will go, God, I just don't like this third and six, six situation. I don't like what we've got called here. I don't like, you know, even though we made this play to Sharp in the Pittsburgh game to run out the clock, I don't like what we're setting up in this situation, right? Like that's, he just, he kept telling Bubby that. And he was preparing all week long. Like if this situation came up and he saw a different defense, he was going to take off and run. And that's what he did. And if and Bubby makes a great comment in the book where he says, "Look, if he doesn't think through that situation, we probably never make that play, and we might not win the Super Bowl because he's not ready for it and he's not thinking about it." So that that was a great one. I think the whole. Daryl Strawberry, John Elway game when they were in high school playing baseball against each other is really fun. You know, the backdrop of the drive is really fun. There are some incidents in college, like when he was living in what we termed the animal house, the delt house Mm -hmm. at, um, at Stanford. You know, like finding out some of the stories about that. But I think the one story for Broncos fans that I think they may appreciate is the fact that Look, Edgar Kaiser was the owner when they pulled this off. It wasn't Pat Bowen. Edgar oh. Kaiser only only on the team for two years. And Edgar Kaiser, who nobody knows about, because he was gone and out out of the NFL almost as fast as he was in, beats out like Gil Brandt and Tom Landry and Tech Schramm from the Cowboys. He beats out Don Coryell. He beats out Al Davis. He beats out even – you know, Bill Walsh, Chuck Knoll, even Don Shula was sniffing around whether he could get Elway that year. I know it was too far to go, but he was sniffing around about it. All these Hall of Famers and great coaches are trying, like you know, trying like hell to get Elway in this draft. And some guy who was in the league for two years not only thought of the idea. It wasn't Reeves's idea. It wasn't John Beek's idea. It was Kaiser's idea, and he pulled it off. And I think that that's. An amazing story, and as I wrote it, I was like, "God, this is just outstanding." And pieces, people know pieces of that; they know little bits of it. I don't think they've ever quite seen the complete story of how it unfolds. And like, my favorite scene in the whole book is in 1983. There's like John Beak and Hein Pauls from the from the Broncos are sitting in a diner at a Marriott Hotel having breakfast with. Bobby Ercey of the Colts, the owner of the Colts, and Mike Chernoff, his attorney, and they, as all these other people around them, are eating pancakes and waffles and just going on about their day. These four men are hammering out one of the biggest trades in NFL history in a diner in a Marriott in Denver, and like that just cracks me up that that happened.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: In case you missed it, sports gambling has been legalized in the state of Colorado. Whether you're looking to place your first wager or you're a seasoned betting professional, SportsBetting.com is the place for you. With sharp odds, a huge range of lines, props, and futures, and backed by state-of-the-art data security and encryption, SportsBetting.com gives you all the tools you need to maximize your sports betting experience. SportsBetting.com is a legal and licensed sports book in Colorado, so with a fresh slate of games coming up in the NFL this week, plus the NBA playoffs, plus college football, you name it, head on over to sportsbetting.com and get in on the action.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site
4: while the destiny of a team is being determined.
2: <laughs> that's great stuff. You know, Jason, in a perfect world, mm-hmm. I would have, you know, we would have allowed enough time to have read the book before we talked to you. And in this, you know, uh, that's okay.
4: you, you'll get to it eventually. No problem. Yes,
2: I look forward to it. It's, uh, you know, it's on the way as, as it were. One thing that has kind of predominated the, the topics here, and a lot of fans are going to recognize this is some of the, anecdotes that come out of during, during Elway's early time as then VP of football operations, when he joined the Broncos in 2011, rejoined, I should say in 2011. And just some of the stories that have come out, not stories, talking points, tropes, whatever about Tim Tebow. Now, one thing that some in Denver media have challenged is that Tim Tebow, um, That he was that he wouldn't talk to media as the backup quarterback. Then that he never had individual, you know, media scrums, if you want to call it that or whatever, until he became the quarterback. And I haven't read the book, so I I'm not going to pretend to say that I know exactly how you reported it. So instead of me trying to poke and guess, some of the I don't want to necessarily call it controversy, but some of the rebuttals that have taken place from very well-known Denver media personalities, what are they missing on that? And Tell us basically what you were trying to convey. Obviously we're, I'm going to read the book. Zach's going to read the book. Yeah. We suggest everyone in our audience, read the book, of course, but just kind of fill us in on some of that, that maybe got, you know, um, lost in translation or people getting their wires crossed, including me. That's how you and I, in fact, cross paths. So sure. I, like, I like, about that?
4: look, Timo is a lightning rod and I live in Gainesville, Florida. Okay. I, li- I live three miles from the university of Florida, I've seen that statue in front of the stadium a ton of times. I taught as an adjunct professor at the University of Florida for ten years. Okay, so I know what Tebow is, all right, and I understand it better than probably any Denver fan ever possibly could. Um, He he's an amazing individual. He was a fantastic college quarterback, and he's a great story, right? He is an inspiring story, especially if you're Christian. Okay, and I get all that, right? And, and I understand, and, and certainly I take no disagreement with any of that, okay? But there are things that Tim has done because of, in developing his platform and, you know, his talking points and, and trying to maintain his brand and all those things that we talk about now that sound like sophisticated marketing. Look, mm-hmm. they didn't jive with being a backup quarterback, all right? And, you know, demanding, you know, money to do appearances sometimes, depending on what the appearance is like. Like one of the things I report is that his brothers asked for $50,000 for him to do a YMCA fundraiser that was being handled by John's ex-wife, Janet. Right. And right. Janet, the people around her, when they heard about it, she was angry about it, they were angry about it because John never charged for those things. And, you know, it it got people a little bit, you know, sideways. Now, the one thing about him, you know, doing, you know, press availability in the locker room, look, he did that, okay? Maybe not in the formal way that the starting quarterback does it every week, but he did plenty of it. And he didn't recede into the background the way that a backup quarterback is supposed to do. And that's what people on the team and this doesn't come from Elway. It comes from other people on the team, and in the organization, were upset about with him. And famously, when the banner went up, right, you know, that said "Start Tebow," you know, when Orton yeah. was off at such a bad, you know, start in the 2011 season, when that went up, Tebow didn't come out and say, "Look, guys, I appreciate the support, but you need to not do that. Let's let the team handle this." He, he didn't try and quash it. And and there were people who were upset with that when he didn't try and quash it. And, you know, it's a tough situation for him because he obviously he wants to play. So I don't think Thiebaud was necessarily really wrong, but it was a difficult situation to navigate and became even more difficult because, in a sense, the team outperformed his ability as a quarterback and made the playoffs and all of a sudden everybody started to really believe in, in him, that he was a long-term answer while pure football people understood he wasn't. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of little conflict. And the one quote in there that, you know, people have gotten upset about, but it was said to me is, and it wasn't said by John, but it was said by a member of the organization is He's the most self-centered, humble guy I've ever met in my life. Yes. Right. That quote is in there. Um, and yep. that's a reference to Tebow. But I I don't want to like, I guess it's when you read it in print, it's really harsh. And I get that. I don't think it's as, as if you heard it in words, the way we're talking right now, it, you would probably understand. It's not quite as harsh as that, but right. look, this was not always a comfortable situation and and in part because look, the team wasn't completely behind him because they had come to the conclusion. He wasn't the long-term answer, even as he's winning games. And that's hard for people to understand when you're winning games, people want to buy in and I get it.
2: Yeah. Zach, I, I, wanted to ask one question real quick, and then we'll get one or two from the audience and I'm sure you have one more too, and then we'll get to the audience. You, um, I know you talk about in the book, of course, it's toward the end of the book, but Elway's, you know, his front office tenure and addressing and all that. And that's where the Tebow stuff comes mm-hmm. from. But you also talk a lot about his recruitment and the selling process, if you will, of Peyton Manning. And right. I'm just dying to know from the people you talked to and the, and the research you did on that topic, what was the biggest takeaway from how Elway went from, you know, having the Broncos basically as an, as an afterthought, non-factor in the national conversation in terms of who's going to land Peyton Manning when, when the Colts you know, inexplicably cut him to all of a sudden Peyton Manning chooses the Denver Broncos, and you know here we go. What was uh, the biggest takeaway from that for you?
4: It's all John to me. Because, and it's not John because he was such a great salesman, although I think he did a good job. It's John because of his presence and who he is. And by when I say that, I mean, look, if if you and I have reported and if you spent 15 years reporting on the Broncos and I come in, I say compare notes from the 15 years I, I spent covering the Dolphins and we can compare stories like how do you how did you write this? And what was your perspective? And, you know, when you asked questions, what did you do? Like we can talk the same language. Right. When Peyton Manning showed up in Denver, and he's looking at John Elway. He's looking at a guy. They can talk the same language. They know what it's like to hold that ball in the middle of a field with 80,000 people screaming at you and millions watching on television, and you're playing for a world championship, right? They know that feeling, and they know what it takes to get there and to win it and all the little things that have to go right and all the things you have to build. And then there's a trust between those two guys. It's unique, It's incredibly unique. I will maintain to this day, and I don't know that you can exactly get an answer, but I would say the key ingredient is John Elway. And not only John Elway, because he could have that conversation, but he also understood Peyton's mindset. And he talks about it in the book is, if I had been like Peyton and I'd been someplace for 10 or 11 years, and trust me, John got close in this because there was almost the trade to the Washington Redskins. In the middle of his career, when you know that thing that right. thing was a big blow up between him and Reeves. But he was saying, look, if I had been like Peyton, been someplace for 12, 13 years, and I just got cut and released from there, I probably don't want to talk to a whole lot of people. I don't want you know their sorrow, their pity, their you know, compassion. I just want to deal with it myself. And now I'm dealing with this whole free agent thing, trying to find a new home, I'm not going to bother him. And and he would just sit there and like, don't, let's not, don't bother anybody. Don't try and call anybody. Don't try and figure out what Peyton's thinking. Don't go to any people around him. You know, Fox would come in every morning and then again, every afternoon going, have you heard anything? Do you want me to make any phone calls? Do you want me to do something? And, and Elway would just sit there and go, look, John, just, just wait. And John, you know, he's a classic former college recruiter when he was a college coach, right. he's wanting to get out there and, and and do the hard sell and find out whatever he can. And Elway's sitting there going, look, this is what I think. This is what I feel. If I was in his shoes, I'd want to just be left alone. So he left Peyton alone and said, you know, what, he'll come to whatever conclusion he comes to. And I just remember, you know, Patrick Smythe telling me that great story about, you know, the day, that, the day that Manning's about to call him, because they've, told, they've been told he was going to call on a certain day, a certain time, to tell him what the decision was. Elway's just got a golf club in his hand, and he's just swinging it back and forth as if it's just a regular old day, just kind of, you know, lazily swinging it in his office. Like, okay, here it is. You know, whatever happens. And then the phone rings. He's never nervous. He's always calm. He was always confident about it. Um, he slow played it like crazy while the rest of everybody fell over themselves like there's a, a great story about John Schneider and Pete Carroll rent a private plane fly to Denver from Seattle they call Peyton and say hey we're here you want to talk and Peyton's like no <laughs> I don't want to bother bothered. I'm, I don't want to be surprised by anything Right. and that's what the rest of the league was doing Elway was sitting there slow playing it
3: Jason, while we have you here, you know, now that you've done this book and you've recently been around the Broncos orbit, I kind of want to pick your brain as to the rest of season outlook for Denver. You kind of assuage Broncos country's fears about the the loss of the Titans on Monday night. What is your your overall projection for Denver this season? How do you see Drew Locke developing and how do you see the team finishing this year?
4: Look, I, I like what I see from Locke so far. Um but, you know, you got a long way to go. And I've seen, you know, when people figure out what a quarterback's trying to do and they take things away, like in the second half, Fant disappeared, right? Yeah. And, you know, did they show Locke some looks? I haven't been able to look at the all 22 to say, okay, did they show Locke some things that he wasn't ready for that took Fant out of the game? Did they, you know, did they vice Fant? What, what was it that was going on that basically eliminated Fant from the game plan in the second half after he was so productive in the first half, right? Mm-hmm. And... Look, I think they're really close to winning this game. They made a couple of critical errors. Obviously, the Melvin Gordon fumble on your own side of the 50 is a critical one that gives away, a, you know, that that you know creates a problem. Um, not you know time just in possession and in you know field in field position along the way. That's that's one. But the two the two drops by Judy and he's a good player. Like you know don't he had to, he had a bad game, right? But you can see the way he runs routes. And you can see when you watched Alabama play, he was the man, right? He had a bad game, um, and that happens. But if he makes the, one of those two catches, and most likely if he makes the second catch, the one in the final four minutes, yeah. I think the game turns out turns out differently. Um, I, while I say that, and I still think the team is, you know, a borderline playoff team if things go right, I would also submit – Look, Vic Fangio has to start winning these games. Yes, there there have been a number of these close games, and close games are determined by coaching. Co- that's where little things play a huge yeah. uh, a, a huge um, turn in any game. And so when you don't use your timeouts with a minute twenty seven left to stop the clock to you know get you to forty seconds left in the game thereabouts, when you stop them. I'm sitting here going, you're not maximizing your chances of winning that game. Not that you definitely would have, but you missed an opportunity to maximize, and that's not tolerable. Because when you do it time and time again, um, you know that that's the difference between making the playoffs and being, a, say, a seven or nine or eight eight and eight team. And he's got to start to handle those situations better.
2: All right, let's, uh, we're getting a little bit long. And again, we're talking with Jason Cole here, the author of the new book, Elway, A Relentless Life. Real quick, I'm going to read this, Jason, and then we'll uh, get your answer from Glenn Hauser, big time Uh member of our community here. He says, the reverence other people had for Jack Elway was incredible in your book. So you've already got a customer right here, Jason. For, (laughs) For Gerald Wilhite to want to block better for John as a running back because he was an extension of his dad, was very interesting. So for those of us who maybe haven't read the book yet, can you give us some back, some background on uh, Glenn's points there?
4: I would say the first chapter of this book, I mean, uh, there is a foreword which is my own personal recollections. Okay. A short foreword. There's a prologue that talks about John's return to the team. And then the first chapter of this book, and even a a substantial amount of the prologue are about Jack. Um, the early part of the book is a lot about Jack. There's a, a very solid chapter about his mother, um, Uh, you know, Jan or Janet, I should say. Um, So, you know, like there's a lot there about his parents, but it's mostly Jack because as I talked about earlier, you know, John has certain reverence for him, but other players did like the guys who played for him at San Jose State, like Steve Clarkson talks about it a lot. You know, Gerald Wilhite, who's become a, um, you know, an inspirational speaker, um, talks about a lot. The connection that they had with Jack. Jack was like a father figure to a lot of players, and they loved him. And he created a family atmosphere within his team. I know that's a cliche, but he really did. And he put it, you know, he really put his heart out there for his players. And, you know, like he he used to keep them in, you know, on Saturday nights on the road, they play Monopoly in Jack's. You know, a lot of players were playing Monopoly with Jack. I mean, it was silliness, right? But it created unity, um, mm. and they loved him for it. Uh, that's the best thing I can say. So Jack is uh, Jack is such a crucial figure in this whole thing.
2: All right, we've got one more from the chat, and then one more from me, and then we'll uh, we'll cut you loose tonight, Jason. John, what do you got next from the chat? We'll uh, whichever one you think is best. Yeah, JT. Now this is one of our listeners from across the pond. He's in the United Kingdom. Broncos Country is not a geographic location, Jason. It is a state of being. And uh, he says, "Will the book be available in the UK, and when does it get released?" Thanks. We have a lot of listeners and members of this community in Europe.
4: I, you know, and sadly, I can't answer that question. So let's let's take another one. I, I okay. will if you send me a Twitter message, I will get an answer. My Twitter handle is Jason Cole sixty two at Jason Cole sixty two. Um, if you want to put that up there, and if you send me a Twitter message, I will have an answer for you by tomorrow how you can get it. I'm sure you can get it in the U.K., but you're going to order it on Amazon. So yeah, I, I assume Amazon. I don't know how it works in the U.K. with Amazon, but there's got to be some kind of delivery system. So, um, And it has been. It was released on Tuesday, the 15th.
2: Okay. John, we got one more? If not, I can ask my question, and then you pull that up. Here's how you find Jason, by the way, on Twitter. For those of you who want to connect with him, first of all, you should be following him. Anyway, but if you have any further questions about the book and distribution and how to get your hands on it, this is how you can reach Matt Jason Cole 62. While John's looking at the, in the chat, pulling one more, uh, I got a question for you and it, it kind of relates to some of the topics that some of the excerpts I've read uh, across the, the internet in the last couple of days, the idea of what comes next, because I know one of the things you said, for example, and I, I read through your uh, Reddit AMA that you did, which was very insightful and great read. One of the things, one of the topics you addressed in that is kind of what comes, you know, how much longer is Elway going to remain in the Denver Broncos for an office mm-hmm. and Broncos country, the fan base are pretty aware that his contract as is runs through 2021 based on what you've seen, what, you know, you people you've talked to, what do you foresee happening, you know, also within the context of this kind of up in the air ownership situation and being managed by a trust sure. and the whole nine yards what do you see as kind of elway's exit strategy and and what the future might hold there
4: I don't think he necessarily has an exit strategy I think he wants to, to do this as long as he possibly can and I think that you know while you guys raise concern about look the last five years haven't been as as good and so there are some questions out there the last you know four years since they won the Super Bowl you know there have been questions I think that people like Joe Ellis, um it doesn't take much for them to be to remember the final days of Josh McDaniel and how that didn't go as planned and how the team struggled a lot, you know, with Mike Shanahan over the 10 years that he was running at post-Elway. So I think a lot of people sit there and go, Okay, you guys might be complaining about the last four years and how things are going, but we're gonna ride or die with John Elway as long as we possibly can. Now, what throws this up in the air clearly is what's going to happen with the Boland family and the trust. And I think that there is a lot that, you know, they want to keep the team within the family, obviously, with one of Annabelle's children. I think that that's the most likely ant outcome. I think it's Brittany. Is that the daughter? I'm, 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 I get them all these. So. She's
2: the one that they've kind of taken under their wing. The, with the I trials. think
4: that that's the one, but obviously you've got infighting within the Boland family that's going to make this a little bit difficult. And so I don't know how it's going to exactly play out. Um, but these things get sticky when people sit there and go, "Well, if you're going to have control, I want my money, and I want to get out. So you're going to have to buy me out." And you're you're going to wonder as the Boland family, does Brittany have the kind of resources to buy out some of her you know brothers and sisters and you know stepbrothers, stepsisters, that kind of a situation? Yeah. So it, it becomes difficult. I will say this that John has been incredibly supportive of the Boland family and them staying there, because I think he wants to work for the family and wants to be there. But I would also say that there he's probably got a number of friends who would probably line up to buy the team as well. So even if the Boland family doesn't um, stay on, I think there's a fair chance that John Elway would stick around, even if they don't have it, if one of his friends ends up buying the team. Now, I know Robert Smith... Um, in Denver, who grew up in Denver and has done f- finance, he's been qualified and he really wants to buy the team. But I think there's a long line of people who want to buy who want to buy the team as well.
2: Okay. There's one right here. I'm going to grab the, do you have the Glenn at 621? I'm trying to find it. Okay. Last question for you, Jason. And again, thank you for joining us. We're talking with Jason Cole, the author of the new book, Elway, A Relentless Life. Glenn says, what, if anything, has Jason heard regarding Elway's reaction to the book, either via John directly or someone close to him. I don't know if you've been able to get any feedback yet this early on, Jason.
4: Uh, I sent him a copy of the book uh, back in April, um, asking for his you know, any final changes or thoughts or corrections he wanted to make. I never heard from him, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty typical of Elway. If you go back through his career, there's a great quote from Jim Sakamano, where he talks about you know, when Sakamano was the PR guy running the show, for the broncos he used to bring the clips um and the stories about elway to him every day when he was playing and he would show them to him and elway would look and go well are, are all my quotes correct and so would we go well yeah he goes well i don't care you know as long as my quotes are correct i don't really care what, what they're said that that was his sort of approach to it he didn't care about the media and the attention all that much um, so that i know that his friends i've had a couple of his friends read the book um, they thought it was really good. So I got positive reaction from them. Uh, but John directly, no, but I just, think that's, that's his, yeah. He kind of shrugs at these things and moves on. Well, Jason, speaking for all the guys
2: here on the huddle up podcast, we can't wait to read the book. And as soon as I get the yes. book, I'm going to sit down, read it front to back. And then we'll do a little uh, segment here on the show, doing kind of a little book report takeaways from the book and, And uh, when that uh, day comes in the near future, maybe we'll we'll, uh, reach out to you again. But thank you so much for joining us. Guys, as you can see here, Elway, it's called A Relentless Life. We've got the link to purchase it in the chat. Go check it out. And also, as we've mentioned a couple of times here tonight, follow Jason on Twitter, at JasonCole62. Jason, thank you so much for giving us some of your time.
4: Guys, Now, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate it. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Um, not only the book, but the the season and everything you guys are going to do. I really appreciate it. Reach out anytime if you have questions about anything. Um, And people can reach out to me on Twitter and ask the same thing. But thank you. Thank you, Jason.
2: Thank you, Jason. Have a good
1: evening. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site.
2: Jason Cole. Now, we're going to march on with the show, but man, just awesome. There's so many questions that I st- I actually still have that I wanted to ask him yeah. that I'm going to end up asking him privately um, that we just, you know, we don't have all day with Jason. So, we kind of had to get to those in, in the chat, but man, his insights on... Now, look, the the whole Tebow thing was was is controversial, and as we all know, Zach, Tim Tebow's name, not just in Denver, but you know, in Florida and in many parts of the United States and the world for that matter is sacrosanct. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, so when people read anything that is in any way demeaning of Tim Tebow, there's going to be a natural bristling, but I think anybody, and even in the article that I wrote covering some of the controversy at milehighhuddle.com, what I, my defense, I I even kind of defended Tebow in my article for those who read it, especially toward the end, just what, you know, basically my, my premise being Zach and I've, it's not the first time I've said it on the show that, Without Tim Tebow in 2011, you probably don't get Peyton Manning in 2012. Now, that's not, you know, it's not an absolute, but I think, you know, Broncos fans have a unique, a more unique appreciation for Tim Tebow, the NFL quarterback and what his limitations were.
3: Man, I can't get over the way that Jason put the whole Tim Tebow hype and hysteria. He said he's the most self-centered, humble guy he's ever been around and, and he was told that by a Broncos source right he, he heard that and that was to me you don't hear that about Tebow you don't hear the word self-centered with Tim Tebow and to get that type of quote and to report on that and tell both sides of the story it's what makes it such a worthwhile book and the Broncos notes and the Elway notes and the the history and the and the present and the future it's great uh, he was very insightful I love picking his brain chat and it's why he's been around for four decades doing what he's doing great guy Yep. Absolutely. But guys, with that said, go get the
2: book, read it yourselves. Again, yep. we're going to read it and we will, this is a promise. We will have a little segment, little book review takeaway segment, as I mentioned while Jason was on with us and you can look forward to that. We'll go through some of the takeaways and not everyone's a big reader, Zach, but um, you know, so we'll, we'll go through that and kind of share with you the biggest takeaways when yep. the time comes. Jason's got a copy on the way to uh, MHH central and we'll kind of take it from there. But from here, gang, Tonight is the Mile High Mailbag as well, because as you know right here, we are your football priests each and every week. Zach and I are here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos That's questions. Right. And especially a week like this, Zach, sometimes as football priests, we got to exercise some demons. Fans still kind of yeah. lost Lots. with those demons and, and Lots of de- this week. after yep. that loss. So uh, let's throw uh, that that super from Bronx legend is in the house. It's good to have you Thank in the you, stream, Bronx. my friend. And uh, he says, just got to say, Zach's throwback hat is straight fire. Appreciate the super chat, Angel. It's good to have you. As always, man, uh, we miss you when you're not in the chat stream. You know this. Uh, we also got one here from Jay Ritchie, jumping in, who says, we got a lot of Broncos topics to talk about, by the way. So I hope you guys, you know, that was a fun little, a little. I wouldn't say abstract. It was more of a historical conversation about John Elway from, uh, you know, J- Jason, for what it's worth, guys. He's also a, a Hall of Fame voter. So this is a guy that, um, you know, he's got some bona fides and some deep roots in the NFL. We wanted to take the opportunity, especially this week where there's been some controversy and kind of blowing up in the in the internet uh, realm and also Denver radio. It's been going on. We thought it would be a good example to get Jason on, get his take on some things and also kind of set some of the records straight for better or for worse. Might not be things fans want to hear, but as the author of the book, as the man who did all the research, you get to hear it from the horse's mouth. But here's Jay Ritchie jumping in. Appreciate you, Jay. Thank you, Jay. And uh, Ariel, appreciate you guys. Uh, fellas, evening. Number 68, Elijah Wilkinson, is killing us and eventually uh, is going to kill Drew at right tackle. DeMar Dotson seems to be assigning for emergency. Thoughts on moving Reisner to right tackle and, oh. and Wilkinson to guard. So this was a topic, Jay, for what it's worth. And, you know, you might have missed some of these conversations that we touched on early on in camp when it became apparent that it was – well, first of all, it was right after Juwan James decided to opt out, we began talking about these issues. And then, you know, the early returns in camp for Wilkinson were not good. And then they signed Dotson. And we talked before the Dotson signing those act just about different ways that you could maybe juxtapose the offensive line, move Dalton Risen from left guard to right tackle. But the bottom line is the Broncos are not thinking that way. They, they would rather go off roster and – hire, sign someone, pay them money like DeMar Dotson, then they would move Dalton Reisner. So to say that that's going to happen anytime in the near future outside, Zach, of an emergency situation, right. we're not there yet. And up to this point, I think, you know, if you, go, if you roll, Zach, here's, here's how you kind of got to understand the coach's rationale on this whole Wilkinson topic. Because from the outside looking in, yeah, we want Dotson in there now because it was ugly. We expected it to be ugly from Wilkinson in uh, week one, and it was. But they look at it like, well, look, he earned the starting job. We named him the starter. We got to give him some rope and allow him to kind of defend the job, if you will. But as Jay you know, points out here, what cost does that come?
3: That's the thing, though. He really didn't earn the job. He was handed the job, and they signed to Mar Dotson late in, in training camp or late in the summer and then just said, okay, you're, you're the day one starter. You shouldn't have to play musical chairs and move Reisner out of his comfortable spot at left guard where he's thriving, you know, Monday notwithstanding to, to make up for the loss on the right side that you didn't feel correctly over the course of the off season. Dalton Reisner shouldn't have to suffer because John Elway didn't have enough foresight to get a capable right tackle after Juwan James in the building. And that's the thing though. They signed Demar Dotson. They don't need to move a guard to tackle when you have a guy who started for nine seasons over a hundred career starts and he's sitting on the sideline while an unnatural tackle, a guard convert, gets your franchise quarterback killed. It makes no sense to me. I can rant about this, chat for an hour straight. If he, DeMar Dotson needs to get in the game because he might not be great, but what are the odds that he's worse than Wilkinson? Minuscule. right? He, if, if he's a tad incrementally better, that's still better than Elijah Wilkinson. DeMar Dotson needs to play, and I have a feeling it's going to happen this week, Chad. By hook or by crook, Elijah Wilkinson will be yanked from the game.
2: MHH Mount Rushmore superstar, Zeus McPeak, jumped in early in the show, might have even been before we went live, and um, we're saying hello to him. He's heading out. He had some things he had to do. He'll be listening after the fact. But appreciate you, as always, Zeus. MHH Mount Rushmore, OG, to be honest with you, and uh, really, really do value what you bring to the community. He says, hi, all. Heading in to see my midnight text, so won't make the pod. But, of course, go Broncos. Stu is just, I mean, we have a, so many of our superstars and members of the community are here on every single pod, and they're supporting what we're doing here, keeping the wheels turning, as it were, here at MHH.
3: Yeah, Stu is incredible, and even when he can't watch us live, he's still leaving us a little memento just to show that he's Zeus, and that's why we look up to him, and we praise him, and it's not—it's well-deserved, Chad. It's all sincere, and Stu, every single podcast, your your support and your uh, relentless Devotion to us is appreciated.
2: All right. We also missed one from Bronx legend. Appreciate you, my friend. Your super chats. He says, this whole fire the coach stuff is funny to me. Anyway, got to show some love to the best pod in the planet. Really appreciate that, my yeah, friend. friend. Really do. And like I said, man, when you're not in the chat stream, we feel it, angels. So you know when we're live, Sunday nights, well, Sunday after games uh, or Monday. But Monday, no matter what. Wednesday, Thursday. So it's good to have you back in with us, my friend. But let's talk about this. We we only briefly scratched the surface on it before we brought Jason on. But the idea that fans have right now that uh, some fans, I don't, I don't want to paint with too broad of strokes. But it was ex- we we addressed this a little bit last night too. But it was extremely brutal on Facebook trying to curate and moderate some of these comments and just the emotional knee jerk. And then you got guys like. Um, Oh, I just lost his name. The dude from the fan. What's his name? The former Mile High Sports uh, publisher. What is his name, dude? Anyway, you got one of the main guys. It'll come to me. Uh, At the fan does this kind of in charge of the digital content they do there with the internet and the blogging on that side. Uh, James Merillat. There it is. Anyway, saying, no, I'm telling you now, fire Fangio. That was a fireable offense. Time to move on. Make Mike Munchak the head coach and move on. You've already seen top of the mountain with Vic Fangio. Call a spade, a
3: spade, turn the page. And to me, it's just ridiculously premature. It's just the fan being the fan. And I hate to say that, but it's it's they do that for those knee-jerky, impulsive, reactionary takes because they, they like to capitalize on what they think of the pulse of the fan base is feeling at that moment. The, let me tell you, the sect of Broncos fans who think that Fangio should actually be fired is very small. Most Broncos fans have enough foresight, enough intelligence to know one game, does not determine his fate. He gets this year, regardless of what happens, literally regardless of record, he gets the entire season. 2021 may be a different story, but Fangio is safe for 2020. And even if he wasn't, he wouldn't be fired after one game either way. And you can argue, Chad, I was thinking about this earlier. We have not seen Vic Fangio for the most part, and we haven't in one full season with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller as his linebackers. We haven't seen Fangio with a completely healthy defense, nor a capable quarterback. Locke started five games in total, six games in total now. So we have to see a little more of the picture come together before we cast the ultimate decision on Fangio's fate. I'm a little more tentative than I was after Monday night because he had a lot of glaring kind of year one mistakes, but they're correctable. And they have a lot of talent on this team, a lot of upside. So regardless of what the fan says or what knee-jerk Broncos fans think, Fangio is safe for 2020.
2: We got Bronco Batman jumping in. Good to have you in the stream, my brother. Thank you. A star in the community says it was a tough loss, but we can bounce back. Great job, guys. And, you. you know, I really appreciate that, Zach. That kind of brings up something that we need to get to real quick. And that is, uh, and I'll I'll explain this segue, so bear with me on it. But we got to quickly say thank you to one of the sponsors of tonight's show, sportsbetting.com. Gang, head over to SportsBetting.com. There's a reason I'm bringing them up now, in fact. And join for a risk-free week of betting, up to 500 bucks. And, uh, you know, it's legalized. Gambling is now legalized in the state of Colorado. So get your, uh, if, if you are so inclined, use SportsBetting.com for that uh, type of thing. And one of the things, Zach, we learned from SportsBetting.com. In fact, I had a, uh, a few DMs on this topic today. The Broncos originally opened. As six and a half point dogs on the road this week to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but since Monday night, that has actually grown to seven and a half points. So, yeah, I mean. the national scope and the odds makers, Vegas, if you will, they're definitely betting on the Broncos not only losing this coming game, Zach, but losing by a pretty comfortable margin. If you're the you know for the Pittsburgh Steelers, anyway, I am have not fully kind of come to exactly how I see this game based on what we saw from the Broncos, based on what we saw from the Steelers. But I do know if the Denver Broncos win this game, obviously it's going to be an upset and it's going to take really kind of like last week where it was every It was kind of a Murphy's law type of night where what could go wrong in key moments did go wrong. It's going to take the inverted aspect sure. of that to win at Heinz field. And that is, in the key moments, what could go right needs to go right. And if they have that kind of a, of a game and, you know, teams can hit that groove and fire on all cylinders, you know, you pick the cliche, they can go into, into Heinz Field and come out with the win, but it's not going to be easy because that Pittsburgh team with Ben back in the saddle, even though he, I didn't think he looked quite 100%, nevertheless, they're going to be tough to beat.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised about the line opening, what it did. They get three points for being the home team either way. So a touchdown, uh, you know, favorites isn't that great considering after, you know, the Broncos lost and the Steelers won. Heinz Field traditionally is such a tough place to play for opponents. It's like playing in Seattle or New Orleans. Fans are no fans. It's just a really tough place to play in. The Big Ben and the Steelers offense, they look really good, minus some injuries they have there. Um it's going to take a Herculean effort. It's going to take everything, like you said, Chad, firing on all cylinders. And the Broncos, it's going to be like an early litmus test for them to see how they respond to a brutal loss, mostly at their own hands on Monday night. Even if they lose this game, I want to see how they play after a loss. I had this game as a loss originally a couple months ago. I'm not deviating. I think they it will be a loss. It's just I'm being honest. But how they play in this game, how Locke plays, how the defense plays, if Fangio coaches better, that would give me either encouragement or discouragement going forward. And if they lose this, Chad, they go 0-2. And this is why the Titans game was so crucial. 0-2 with a must-win against Brady and the Bucs at home in Week 3. Now, say what you want about Brady and the Bucs. They're beatable. They're not He's not the same quarterback. But having that must-win already so early in your season is definitely not ideal. That's why that Titans game stung so much, Chad, they have to stack the wins where they can because they lose to the Steelers, which I think they will. 0-3, they lose to the Bucs, let's say. The season's, I hate to say it, season's over.
2: Yeah, I mean, we saw what happens when a team starts out 0-3, 0-4. It completely reshapes your chances, even if you get hot late in the year like the Broncos did once Drew Locke got in there. And so that's why from the outside looking in, we can say, oh, chalk it up, it's looking like a loss. Inside the Denver Broncos locker room, they have to come ready to win at all costs, you know, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Another thing Jason said, and it's one of he was kind of one of he phrased it differently, but one of your
0: tropes. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site
2: in critical moments like that when it's a tough game it really is he yes. which team is coached best typically comes out on top and in that particular game Vangio was out coached and it's not because of things he i should say it's because of his mistakes all right it's, it's rookie type mistakes that just frankly again they can chalk it up to saying i Vangio can say i'm falling on the sword and i'm saying look I was too consumed with calling the defense. My bad. It won't happen again. And even today, defensive coordinator Ed Donatel called it an anomaly. But I really don't think that's what it was. I think Fangio, and he was wrong, but he had made a decision. And the decision was not not caught up in the moment. The decision was this kicker is in a slump, can't do anything right. I'm playing those odds. And he, he got bit. Now, let's grab Womack real quick on uh, Facebook. Appreciate you. Well, Mac consider heading over to facebook.com slash mile huddle and becoming an official supporter. We would appreciate it. He says, uh, did Elway play Tebow knowing that he wasn't the guy? Of course, he's probably hoping to get this to Jason, but we can talk about it. I got some thoughts on this. Did Elway play Tebow knowing he wasn't the guy to only move up in the draft to get Andrew Luck? Now, of course, fans can remember back to 2011, it was the suck for luck campaign, right? And there are a few teams in the running. I wouldn't be surprised, Zach, if there was definitely a part of Elway's rationale to finally say, all right, pull Orton and let's give Tebow a shot here. I think that was partly motivated by what's the worst that could happen. We get Andrew Luck. However, also keep in mind, Womack, that the Denver Broncos at that point were a, a year and a quarter removed from investing. Of course, it was a different coaching regime and a different front office regime, but from investing a first-round pick in a quarterback that was one of the most notorious, famous athletes in the world. And he had some exposure late in his rookie season. Fans can remember, McDaniels got fired. Week 16, he made his first career start, and he beat the Texans. He beat Gary Kubiak's Houston Texans in Denver. Everyone can remember that kind of uh, moment from the mic'd up where he comes off on the goal line and the game's in, in the clutch, and he tells Eric Studesville, the interim head coach, there's only one person who carries the ball right here. And everyone got excited because the Broncos won. He ended up losing the next game, the, the the season finale, to the Chargers. But fans had not only had the first-round pedigree expectation, but the fact that he was a superstar already as a, as a former college athlete and two-time uh, national champion. Plus, what they did see from Tebow as, as fans in those two games as a rookie, Zach, got him excited. So Elway, in part two, was like, look – there's a, and it was Jason spoke to it. There was banners. There was, there was a real groundswell from Broncos country after this team got out to, I want to say it was either a one and four or a two and four start when they, when, you know, it was pressure. It was to a point where you could not risk, if you're the team, Zach, putting Kyle Orton out on the field at home again because it would just be brutal. And so that was a, I think one of the biggest parts. Plus, you know, you got to give, you got to see what you got in the kid. And again, Elway, what's the worst that could happen? Andrew Love.
3: Yeah, you know, Chad, I'm going to speculate here on what I think might be the case because it preceded my time on the Broncos beat. Um, Elway, it was a win-win. Either you succeed with Tebow and you obviously succeed and go to the playoffs and have, you know, you win there or you lose and you have the shot at the best quarterback of the generation. So, like you said, what's the worst that can happen? Second of all, Elway, yeah, He was a, a, a GM and he was an executive and he has to maintain, you know, objectiveness, but he saw what Tebow did at Florida. He heard and felt and saw the hype and the groundswell and this lore that Tebow brought. So he was a little, I think, fascinated by what Tebow can do and what he brings to the table. And he's like, he thought to himself, if he can bring this spark to Denver, if he can bring Gainesville to Colorado, I'm in a good position. And if he can't, I'll get the guy who can Andrew luck.
2: Yep. And a guy that he was intimately familiar with because Stanford. he kept his connections to Stanford and yep. now he was in the front office. And so, by the way, we got Terry Randall jumping in north of the 49th parallel. Thank Love you. Love you, buddy, up there in Canada, rocking the Smouse Mile High Huddle, hashtag let him hate shirt. He says, Good evening, Broncos country, hashtag state of being. And Terry, I noticed that you are watching on YouTube. I hope that the stream for here's what we found out the stream last week was being a little glitchy for YouTube viewers at times. And uh, it reared its head the other night as well. And so I reached out to StreamYard and I said, what's going on? That's the platform we use to stream. And I said, what's going on? We're having these, you know, this, this feedback from our our audience that it's glitchy on YouTube. And then I even got on on the building, the Broncos one on Tuesday, and it was glitching on me. So I finally realized there's some truth to this and gave them my own uh, anecdote of what I experienced. And they said, well, there have been some problems on YouTube side with Android phones. And I was—I have an Android, I have a Galaxy something or other, Note or something. And uh, anyway, that was the problem. But they assured us that it—that it, it, both sides are aware of it and they're—they're they're getting it hammered out. So glad to have you with us, Terry. Um, we got Dion Rodriguez jumping in. Good to see Thank you, my you, friend. Two nights in a row. Much respect, my friend, and appreciate the support. He says it's probably been discussed, but where do you think Devonte Bosby stands on the depth chart? Well, we haven't discussed it tonight, so this is this is virgin territory for this episode here this evening, but. Well, I think it stands to reason, Zach, and this, there could be one exception uh, to this, but I think it stands to reason that as the last corner to make the roster, basically, he's probably right. the old man on the totem pole. However, that could change, and here's why it could be the exception. Bill, un, unlike Ryan Tannehill, who didn't really – there wasn't a noticeable push on Tannehill's part to pick on the rookies last week. It was kind of a carte blanche on in the play-action game he just threw to the open guy. And there were just a lot of open guys in the middle of the field because the linebackers and safeties were just getting sucked in on that play action, just biting on biting on the fake. Ben Roethlisberger, though, is a guy who already knows, knew two nights ago, three nights ago, that the Broncos are leaning on two rookies, that A.J. Bouye is hurt, and that Michael Ojemudia and Asang Bassi were playing starter snaps. He will, Zach, exploit that. So I could see Fangio and Ed Donatel going, you know what? Let's play Bosby. Let's go straight from the practice squad to playing him because, I mean, when's the last time Bosby faced that type of a quarterback? Technically, it was week five when he got hurt, but it was really early, or week five, yeah. But really, if you think back to week three when he went against Aaron Rodgers, broke up a couple of third down passes, played really well in that game. If I'm Fangio and Donatel, I'm giving him a serious role this week.
3: I am too, but you know, you asked this question to us three months ago, and we're all saying he's a number three cornerback, no doubt about it. But obviously, the Broncos thought Devontae Harris and Duke Dawson were better cornerbacks than Devontae Bosby. Bosby had no business on the practice squad to begin with. I'm happy he's on the roster now. It sucks that it came at the expense of AJ Boyer. If I had it my way, I think he lines up after Callahan and Ojemudia, who really impressed me Monday night, Chad. He he looked really good for a rookie in his first game with no preseason, and I think the Broncos coaches trust Ojemudia right now more than they trust Bosby for whatever reason. And there's a theory that he didn't make the team because he's been an unwilling tackler coming back from that injury. We're going to find out this week if he's willing or not. We're going to find out this week why he wasn't on the final roster. I would have number three, but I have a funny feeling he might be hidden behind Devontae Harris or behind Duke Dawson or behind someone who wouldn't expect. Maybe even a St. Bassey. He will play heavy snaps, boy out. It could be a shootout. Big Ben likes to take to the air, but... I hope for Bosby's sake, he kind of sticks to the Denver and shows them why he should never been left off the 53, Chad, ever. I agree. <clears throat> they need to play him because it's
2: Callahan and Bosby. Those and you know, I mean, between Bassey and Ojemudia, they have exactly two games, I guess, because they each started one game, but one game each of NFL experience. Yeah. Bosby doesn't have a whole heck of a lot more in terms of actual starts in the NFL, but in Fangio's scheme and just time spent in the NFL – he has way more experience, and so again, I think the Broncos would be remiss. I know they have their hopes and their and their dreams set on Ojemudia, and I know Fangio just has a a burr under his saddle in a good way for a same basket. <laughs> they love bassy okay, but Devonte Bosby is going to give PG. the Broncos the best chance to succeed. <laughs> All right, Mike Evans, bona fide superstar, jumping in. Appreciate Thank you, you my friend. You you and like you and Terry and and Zeus, so consistent every chat. Poppy as well. You're not only in the chat contributing to the conversation, but you're supporting what we do here on super chat. And it means a lot. He says, "Uh, thanks for making me smarter today. Great show. Yeah. I mean, you know, we get sometimes Zach, we get really caught up in the hustle bustle of uh, covering this team and just providing you guys the content and and the analysis. And just, we get in our, I don't want to call it a rut. We get in our zone and we want to try and make it, we want to expose our audience to different voices and, you know, soon we'll be getting, we'll we'll have players come on in the whole nine years. That's in the in the future for the Huddle Up podcast, and so it's fun to shake it up at times. That's why we started with the superstar segment, and you know, uh, we'll uh, Jason coming on like this. We'll we'll get more guests like like that on and continue to kind of do what we can in our modest way to edify Broncos country. So appreciate that compliment, Mike, and the super chat, um, Kenneth Booker jumping in to say. The Nuggets were down three to one twice this in these playoffs, NBA playoffs. They didn't give up. Play every week like it's your last. Boys quit, men grind. Excellent point. But also just keep in mind, guys, you know, it's so early. It's 15 games to go, as Zach and I have been telling you for the last three podcasts. And not only that, but you know, there's a lot of talent on this team. Even Jason Cole, who has no skin in the game. None. He said, look, this is a borderline playoff team. All right. If if they can kind of get their you know what together.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, I'll take it right now, Chad. It's it's a long season. Like I, we, we, that was one of our our glimmers of hope. We said on yesterday's podcast why fans shouldn't freak out because there's 15 games left at least for Denver. And the silver lining is there's a chance that you know Pittsburgh plays like the Clippers did, and if that happens, the Broncos are be in fine shape. True. It takes a uh, you know takes a choke
2: job for a team to overcome three and one for what it's worth. Uh, Dennis Woods jumping in, bona fide superstar Thanks, as well. Much love to you, Dennis, up in Michigan. He says coming in late, but had to show appreciation. We do we do uh, we're grateful for that. Can't believe coaches can't see how bad Wilkinson is at right tackle. Get Dotson in there. Preach, preach, Dennis. I mean, right now you're preaching to the to the converted, you're preaching to the choir, as they say. Yeah, and uh, we're with you on that. I just don't think fans should get, you know, Zach might differ with me on this, but I don't think fans should get their hopes up that you're going to see a change at right tackle in the first quarter of this season. That's just my take.
3: I just think that if he's hurried on Sunday continuously, and it might happen with TJ Watt, that they're going to have no choice, Chad. I mean, Mm -hmm. how could you subject your quarterback to that when the fans see it, and I'm sure the players see it, if he gets chased down or sacked, he will be out of the game, Wilkinson. That's my prediction. Well, here, let me, Kenneth says, I'm not scared of the
2: Steelers. They didn't impress me against the Giants. Here's what jumped out to me watching that game. Okay, three things real quick. First of all, Ben's back, and that's important. Three touchdowns through the air. Second, they lost James Conner and what's uh, well, I forget his name. Now, so, thank you. Comes in, rush, rushes for hundred yards. Then that defensive front, good lord, it's, that is just. <clears throat> I think Fangio, he said they're the best or one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. <clears throat> and so you know, it's gonna it's a significant challenge. And you know, when you have that a veteran quarterback at the helm like that, that's not only got talent and you know improvisational skills and can break the pocket, he's hard to sack. I mean, sometimes it takes three, four men to bring down Ben Roethlisberger. And granted, he's he's long in the tooth, but this is a guy that's been through every battle the NFL can throw at him. Two rings. Uh, is it three trips to the Super Bowl and two rings or just the two rings? Uh, either way, he's as battle-tested as it gets, Zach. So I I understand you might not be scared of the Steelers, but they are going to be a formidable presence in the AFC this year if
3: if Ben stays healthy. I don't think I'm scared of any team because any team is beatable, and it happens every single week. That being said, though, the players are one thing, I think the Steelers in many cases have the advantage there, the personnel, but also the coaching. Say what you want about Mike Tomlin; Chad. He's won a title before. He's a fantastic coach who's one of the most underrated guys, I think, in the NFL. To to go 8-8 and last year, losing both of your quarterbacks, starting Duck Hodges, it was a, a terrific job in itself. Now, Tomlin, if if Fangio got out coached by Mike Vrabel, what is going to happen this week with Mike Tomlin? That's what I'm wondering about. It's going to be a lot. It's going to take a lot for for Denver to uh, upset the Steelers. That's all I'm going to say about that.
2: We got Poppy in the house. Thank you so much, my friend. We want to talk about thank you, Poppy, superstar and being consistent. Really appreciate your generosity and everything you do in the community, Poppy. She says, "Thank you, Chad and Zach, for all you do." Love and go Broncos. Very sweet of you. Thank you. And uh, we do appreciate it. Here's one from Gary jumping in. Uh, do you all think F- uh, Fangio will give more control of play calling to his coaching staff now? No. He already said he's not going to. And Ed Donatel backed him up on that today. said, look, we got over 200 games that we've coached together. And that's formidable, right? That's like a solid sample size, 200 games that Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio have been in the trenches, you know, figuratively speaking, together. And he maintains perfect confidence in their system in terms of, I'm not just, I'm not just talking about the defensive system. I mean, their system and the way they go about interpersonally working with each other and just how they roll on game day and all those things. It ain't going to change anytime in the near future. And we've had a couple of articles this week at mileheadle.com one by Eric trickle, one by Luke Patterson kind of pounding the table with the bottom line takeaway being Fangio needs to adapt or he'll die. You know, Again, figuratively speaking, adapt or die, Fanjo's got to evolve, Zach. And I just don't see if if evolution means Zach, him giving up play calling duties, then he'll 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 go down with the ship. It just ain't gonna happen.
3: He's too stubborn. And you know what? We all think he's this selfless guy, this old school guy, and he 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 paints himself that way, but he has a big ego. He ain't given up play calling so fast, Chad. I mean, that's been uh, dictated already. And what he said yesterday about the timeout situation, he said in one answer, he's not going to change anything. And he was asked why he's not going to change anything. And he goes, it was an anomaly. We hope to be better. So it's going to stay the same, but be different. That answer made no sense to me. And it's coming off like a guy who is really set in his ways. And unless he loosens that up a little bit, kind of like Elway, the GM, unless he takes advice from those around him and kind of looks himself in the mirror, he's not going to evolve as a head coach. That's what scares me about Fangio.
2: Zach, I don't want, honestly, I don't want anyone else calling the place defense. I don't either. I, what I want is they need a guy up in that booth with an analytical background that can look at game situations as they're happening in real time and provide solid uh, recommendations. And, They've had that for years and years with Mitch Tanny. I can't remember the exact year. I want to say he joined the team in 2015 or something like that. He survived a few different regimes. Why they didn't replace him, even if it's not with an analytics guru, but I mean, you could even find a a quality control guy to put in charge of, because trust me, NFL teams have copious volumes of probability information. So for example, here's what I mean by that. When down by two points at four minutes to go, and your opponent has the ball on the 29 and you have this many timeouts, here's what the decision should be. They have that stuff. They have all that stuff to simplify it. But my question is, Zach, who's relaying that information to Fangio when he's on the field in the heat of battle and conveying it to him in a simple, coach, here's the recommendation, you know, Fokker out, basically. That's all he needs (laughs) is the the recommendation, and then Fangio can make that call. All right, perfect. (laughs) Well, uh, grab Levi. Uh, sorry, John. Levi Hope, a name I don't recognize. Wow. on Super Chat. Welcome, Levi. So thank, you thank you so you. much. And, yeah. Welcome, Levi. Very generous of you, my friend. He says, always seem to miss the live shows. Thanks for all the hard work you fellas do. Well, you know, comments like that and that kind of support really does make it all worthwhile to us, Levi. So, hey, if you're on uh, Twitter, make sure you reach out to us and connect with Zach and I so that we can shout you out after tonight's show. Very, very grateful for your support. But, Zach, that's the thing. I want Fangio calling plays because I think you could maybe make an argument that there's two or three other coaches currently in the NFL that are as good at play calling defensively in the NFL today. But he needs someone to help help him simplify that, that decision-making process in key situations.
3: Yeah, I agree with your premise. I I definitely do. I want him calling the plays. He needs some help. But does everything have to be so spoon-fed to the man, Chad? He's 60 years old. He's been around the NFL for 40 years now. His offensive coordinator was a head coach. His offensive line coach was a head coach. He literally does not have to worry about offense. And as the head coach, Chad, the whole team is his responsibility. Offense, defense, and specials. That's his responsibility. And on defense, he brought along his coordinator, his longtime buddy in Donatel, who he's worked with from stop after stop after stop. How much easier does he want it? At some point, he has to take on some responsibility and spotter or not, analytics guy or not, a guy in his ear or not, he has to know in that situation to be better. It's just – I don't want a coach that we have to baby and coddle and and make it so easy for. He's in a more fortuitous situation, Chad, than a lot of head coaches in the NFL. Especially after what the ineptitude
2: of the Vance Joseph regime
1: and just
2: the the flagrant incompetence at times. I mean that standard – should not have to be questioned, you know, that, but again, when you're going from being a guy that's in the background, sure, you're a coordinator, but you're in the background, you're in the booth, you know, you're seeing things from 10,000 feet, 19 of your, uh, I should say, yeah, 19 of your 20 seasons as a defensive coordinator, you're in the booth. Um, you know, maybe that makes you less exposed to those type of conversations on the sideline. Or, whereas here's an example. All right. If you're an offensive coordinator, like Pat Shermer, who lives and dies by being on the field, think of just through just by virtue of, of all the games he's coached as an offensive coordinator, think of all the conversations he has been a part of and witnessed over his decade plus in the NFL that if he were in that situation, calling the making the decision as the head coach that would inform him on that, right? Not to, and and that's not to say that Fangio's an idiot and doesn't have those experiences, but less so, all right. So it is that much more new to him because. He never liked being on the sideline. He liked the view from being the eye in the sky and really what it gave him resource-wise in terms of seeing the scheme, what his scheme, how his scheme fit the other scheme. He, he could see the entire field. That's why he liked being in the booth. But it did, Zach, I believe, deprive him of some of those experiences. The guys that are on the, on the, have been on the sideline their entire careers, you know, have maybe take it, that take for granted, if you will. And that's not an excuse for fans. You don't, don't get, get it twisted. I'm just saying you know, there is a reason why I think this one aspect of his responsibility as a head coach, he's he's fumbled a time or two, you know,
3: making the right call in game. My thing is, though, it's like tough ass. I mean, yeah. you, you, might, you might like to be in the booth, but you're the head coach now. You signed up for this. You've been around long enough now. You've had a year under your belt already. Chad, we're talking like he's a rookie head coach. He's had an entire year of experience in Denver ready an entire off season, as messed up as it was to get this right now. So I can't make many excuses for things that are elementary for coaches in the NFL. All
2: right, guys, one more here, and then we'll get out of here for this evening. We're at about an hour and 13. So we're a little long. Holden Adams says, what's your prediction for drew lock this week? Thanks for all you mm. guys do. Denver Broncos for life. Hashtag number one pod MHH. Thank you. Appreciate Holden. that. Holden. Um, Well, first of all, our predictions for exactly what we expect to see happen in the game itself, score, winner, all that, um, you know, the the nuance will publish tomorrow in the Mile High Roundtable at milehighhuddle.com. So stay tuned for that. But what do you expect to see from Drew Locke this week?
3: This is a a triple-edged sword, Chad, if such a thing can exist because it depends on multiple factors. Are the Broncos getting blown out? Because if that happens, then he might just get garbage time stats and touchdowns. Is his protection going to hold up? Is Elijah Wilkinson going to be in the game? Is Garrett Bowles going to hold up again? He has a sprained elbow now. I mean, there's a lot of factors at play here. I think Locke, it's a—it's t- such a tough spot, like I said, playing a Steelers defense on the road uh, without maybe Cortland Sutton, without Phillip Lindsey. As long as he progresses, and I'm going to give kind of a cop-out answer here. As long as he progresses, he stops drifting back in the pocket, he can make some nice throws, and he stays healthy. It's another game for his development, win or lose. I'll get more into it in the roundtable, chat specifically with stats and stuff, but it depends on the Broncos' protection and the game flow. If they get behind early, he's going to have to throw a lot. If they start managing the game, if they can get a lead, they're going to run the ball. So I just want to see how he progresses from week one to week two.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I'm making a prediction, I'm saying that he's probably going to be around 250 yards. I think he'll throw a couple of touchdowns because I think the Broncos are going to have to throw to win this game, to be in the game, all right? for sure. And I think, because look at his stat line last week, all right? He ended up with something like 229 yards. I don't have it right in front of me. One touchdown, QB rating in 95. If he connects with uh, Nick Vanette, now he's got two touchdowns in the end zone on the goal line, that that turnover on downs. If he hits Deshaun Hamilton in uh, the fourth quarter, he's got three touchdowns. And if if Jerry Judy still allow Jake but his drop, but if Jerry Judy even only drops one of those passes, locks over three hundred in the debut this week or this year. All right, so I think that tells you Pat Shermer's scheme is going to be a really good fit is and is going is a good fit and is going to produce some some stats and some production here for this Broncos offense. The question is. Does it happen this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers? I think it does. I think he throws his first pick of the season, but I I don't think it's a dagger that kills the team. I do think he'll throw his first pick because they're going to have to lead the tip of the spear this year or this week is going to have to be that right arm because that Steelers defensive line is just animalistic. And Melvin Gordon, look, he's got some power to him. And having that good of a defensive line isn't a deal breaker because you have Graham Glasgow, you have Dalton Reisner, you have Lloyd Cushionberry and you have Garrett Bowles and also Elijah Wilkinson. All five of those guys are good run blockers. So, you know, there will be the who wins, the immovable object or the unstoppable force. We'll see. But I do think when it really comes down to it, Zach, if the Broncos are going to win, Locke's got to have a big day through the air. And I do think he will have a big day. It's just a matter of, is it going to be enough?
3: Yeah, that's very well said, and it could be like a Texans game, Chad, maybe without the winning and the upset, but a, a big performance like that where he, the Broncos are carried on the strength of his right arm. So I'm with you, though. For them to win this game, he's going to have to either out-duel Big Ben or go to toe-to-toe with Big Ben. All right, guys, we got to get out of here for tonight. Sorry
2: that we had to make the mile-high mailbag basically half as long as it might normally be, but we'll be back in the saddle, of course, Sunday, immediately following Broncos-Steelers for the gut reaction – and then, of course, as, as well, we're going to be coming to you live at halftime. So probably, you know, depending on game flow, we might even go live a little bit early um, for halftime. But we will be live for that 12 to 15 minute window during halftime. So make sure you you join us for that. Whatever platform you prefer, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, whatever one is your jam. Make sure you join us for that. You'll get the notification as soon as we hit go live, but just be ready for it. And then, of course, the gut reaction following the game. So until then, of course, you got Dove Valley Deep Divers tomorrow night and then Mile High Insiders on Saturday. Zach, have a great close to your week, my friend. And I can't wait to see what happens on Sunday.
3: You too. Uh, I think you know, win or lose Sunday chat. It's still a Broncos game. We're still going to see the team in action and Drew Locke in action. And uh if if they just they can play a little better and coach be coached a little better, they'll have a chance in this game. But regardless, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys again on Sunday. Have a good weekend, everyone. Make sure you're following the main account mile high huddle on Twitter. Make sure you're following the
2: podcast on Twitter at huddle Up pod and my partner Zach Kelberman at Kelberman NFL. You can find me at Chad and Jensen. And then again, one last shout out to Mr. Jason Cole, who spent so much time with us here tonight, answering our questions and some fan questions as well. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole 62, and then go get that book, Elway, a relentless life. A lot of good information in there. Things you you'll learn about John Elway, and the Broncos that you don't know right now. So check it out. And again, thanks to Jason. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll see you guys on Sunday.
1: You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.